If you would turn in your Bibles, uh, we'll be in two different places today, but I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Luke for a moment. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And as you're turning there, I'd ask, to make sh- ask you to make sure you grab your bulletin inserts as we continue in our series that we have entitled uh, One Month to Live. And uh, from all that, that we're hearing, I, I get nervous when we do different things because, again, you never know what the response may be. Uh, but as the Lord had directed the elders uh, to do this series, uh, we were encouraged and, and are continually encouraged by uh, the reports that we're getting, uh, especially through our small groups uh, that are meeting each week in uh, about 20-some different homes uh, and meditating and talking through uh, the subject matter that we've been learning about that Sunday before. And uh, we were uh, challenged. Uh, I'm not sure uh, anyone this last week could uh, have gone through the small group uh, video part of the uh, series without, uh, without a, a sense of uh, incredible awe uh, to a walk of, uh, of a man who has no arms and no legs and yet serves the Lord and ministers to the Lord without complaining and how he's learned humility and obedience amidst terrible circumstances and yet he would say that uh, he wouldn't change his life at all. And so uh, it's been great to hear how lives have been changed, how some of you are are uh, committing yourself to living differently in response to the knowledge that our days are numbered and that we may just have one month to live. We do know that we only have one life to live and uh, we should use it to the best of our abilities. Well, this series has focused in on that question. How would I live differently if I knew that I had one month to live? The clarifying question, what would my life look like? What would my, how would my priorities change? How would my attitude change if I knew my time was that short? What would I do with my walk with Christ that would be different? How would I spend my money and my energy What relationships would I want to see mended? It's amazing when we find out that our time is short, how different we live. Today we look at the final principle uh, that is laid forth uh, for us, and it is that we are to leave boldly. I want to just quickly read uh, Luke 9, 51, and I want us to understand uh, what Jesus did and how he approached his impending death. It says in verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. We know that Jerusalem would mean the cross. We know that Jerusalem would mean beatings and abuse. We know that Jerusalem would mean a time and a place where his friends would leave him, where his father would forsake him. And yet it says that Jesus, knowing all of that to be true, resolutely, steadfastly, with great conviction, set out for that place. For many of us, we don't resolutely uh, step out in, in a lot of ways, let alone towards our own death. And yet, Christians, we are told that that is how we should look. We should not grieve, we should not worry, we should not fear or fret death, but that we should look to it not as a saying goodbye, but a homecoming. A homecoming where we will see our God and our Savior. A homecoming where we will no longer feel pain, no longer have troubles, but we will be eternally in the presence of Almighty God. 
But as we look to that great homecoming, we are called to leave by leaving a mark, by living a life that makes a difference, to make sure that as we live life, we are leaving a legacy so that others may be uh, uh, brought to God and that God would be glorified. I'm going to ask the guys, uh, you've got the video uh, lined up there. If you guys would just show, just a, it's a minute and a half video, asking the question on how you're living your life and what are you leaving behind. So watch with me for a moment. Everything leaves a mark. Every action produces an effect. A ripple that extends into the future. A forensic, I was here. Most people leave only the scraps of self. Empty rooms, faded photographs, dust and bones. They never wake up to the possibility that life is incomplete. What will be the residue of your life? What evidence will future generations have of your existence? What will you leave behind? After all is said and done, when you take your last breath, will it be a breath of regret? Will it be a regret of lost and missed opportunities? Or will you be like Paul who said, I fought the, faith, I fought the fight, I have finished the race, and, and I've kept the faith? Is it something that you'll be able to look back and see people glorifying God in their lives because of you? because of what you've done and how you have lived. There are a couple metaphors that I want us to have this morning. The first one is that of awake. What are you leaving behind? What is coming behind you? The second metaphor that I want to use is a picture. Uh, many of us have, have spent time on beaches. And, and I love, I'm not very artistic, nor am I very handy, but I, I, I just am amazed at people that, that can build those incredible sandcastles in the beach. They bring the right kind of pails and, and they plan out what they're going to do. And, and, uh, and I watch, love watching kids building these sandcastles. And they're building them and making sure everything's just right. They're making sure that they have a moat uh, so that any kind of water that comes their way won't destroy that which they have built. Uh, but to be honest with you, I'm a realist. And I don't build many sandcastles. I don't waste my time doing that because as I'm watching these kids, I'm watching the tide come ever closer to their sandcastle. And it will only be a matter of time before that water destroys that which they have labored for. A lot of us are like that with our lives. We're building these sandcastles, what we believe to be masterpieces, that involve a lot of different things, our work and, and, and uh, our achievements and, and our goals and our hobbies. And little do we know as we're building those things, the tide of our death is coming and it's going to wash all that stuff away. 
In fact, when, when the tide comes in, if you've ever gone out uh, the next morning after all those sandcastles have been built and the evening tide and morning tide have come, you don't see anything. There's nothing left but just even sand with no residue, with no knowledge of what was there before. Some of us, sadly, are living lives that way today. That when we're gone, yes, people will mourn, yes, people will be sad. But there's no lasting, eternal value to what we have done. The scripture talks about this numerous times, and I want to go to yet another metaphor this morning, a very famous passage of scripture. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be there for the rest of our time, and we're going to look at how that can change, how we can begin to live differently, and it involves a couple things. Because if we want to leave boldly tomorrow, then we need to live boldly today. If you have that in your uh, bulletins, you can uh, fill that in. If we want to leave boldly tomorrow, then we must live boldly today. You can't expect that you are going to do great things in the future unless you are able to do the hard work that is needed today. That is the same thing that is true when it comes to leaving a legacy for God. So how do we live different today to make sure that our tomorrow is impacting for God and for those around us who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, who need to see Christ's example lived out before them? The book of Hebrews chapter 12 is where we will find the answer. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read this text. And then I'll ask for God's blessing. We'll get right into the text. So this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father God, we come before you and we come to this final principle that we see throughout your life, and that is that you lived knowing that the end was coming. And you lived in such a way to know that uh, the whole life of stewardship involved not just money and time, but your everything. And that even when you knew your time was coming to an end, you resolutely continued to move forward in obedience and humility to the Father in heaven. And so, Lord, I pray today for Christians in this place who want to leave boldly, who long to leave a mark that has your name and your life all over it so that the children that watch will see you, so that our friends and co-workers, when we are gone, they will see you. For those people that meet us maybe just once, they would see you. But Lord, to leave that kind of legacy tomorrow means we have to start living differently today. So, Lord, I pray that we would listen to what your word says, glean the truths from it, and apply it starting today so that we can build a tomorrow 
that brings glory and honor to your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've seen the metaphor of the wake behind a ship or a boat. We've seen the metaphor of the sandcastle in the beach. The final metaphor that I want to bring out is that which the biblical writers bring out, and that is of a race. Today is the Chicago Marathon. Forty-some thousand people, lunatics in my opinion, for no real reason other than personal satisfaction, no one's forcing them to do it, will run 26.2 miles. In fact, I believe they are just about to begin. And they are going to put their bodies through the ultimate test of their will so that they can one, at one point, for some it will be a couple hours, if it was me it would be a couple decades, to cross that finish line and to say that they have achieved what they set out to do. The race metaphor is a metaphor that is used throughout Scripture over and over again. It's a metaphor that the Apostle Paul loved to talk about. He must have been a big fan of the Olympic Games back in the day because he loved to speak about this and to use it as an analogy or a metaphor for our walk with God. And so I want to look at this race and I want us to see how by running the race God's way that we can live boldly today, but by running that race... And at some point crossing that finish line, we will be able to leave boldly when the time of our departure is called. So notice with me the first thing that is needed to live boldly today with the anticipation of leaving boldly someday. And that is we need to be faithfully running the race. It involves faithful running. Look at the text. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that... What that means is it's a command. What God is telling us is is you can't run this race and think that you can bring things into the race that are going to weigh you down and that he's going to be happy with that. Nor can you be tripped up with those things that you're trying to keep in your life that will keep you from running it. He says get rid of it. It's a command. This isn't a suggestion. It's a command. It's found in aorist tense which denotes the idea that we get rid of it once and for all. There are some of us today who need to make a once and for all decision that we're not going to live in certain um, lifestyles and live in certain, with certain sins anymore. But if you're like me, what I normally do is I say, ah, I need to get rid of these things. But then we bring them back out. We, we put them in the Rubbermaid containers and store them away in storage. But we make sure we know exactly where they're at. I don't want to give them up. I don't want to put those things away forever. I'll put them away right now. I'm on fire for the Lord. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. But there may be a time I may need them. What the writer is saying is get rid of them once and for all. And some of us need to rid ourselves of these things and rid ourselves of it so that we can run the race. Now notice the second aspect of faithful running. It involves perseverance. Now we've prepared ourselves. We've started the race. You don't prepare as you're in the middle of the race. So we've prepared prior to the race. We've gotten rid of any of the weights that will encumber, any of the sin that will entangle. 
and now we're running the race. And he says, let us run with perseverance the race set before us. The writer reminds us that if we want to live boldly, if we want to leave boldly, then we must have a desire to run a race that will, at the end of the day, let us look back and live with no regrets. So notice what we see. First of all, we see a description in regards to this perseverance. The word run. To understand this term, you must be fluent in Greek. Run in the Greek literally means, and this is important, it means to move rapidly. So if you understand Greek and English, run in the Greek means run in the English. I know I'm over your head right now, but that's what it means. And so from that word run, I want to apply some things. It doesn't mean meander. It doesn't mean wander. It doesn't mean walk. It doesn't mean slowly stroll through the neighborhood. Run means run, and it means it in every language. Some of us as Christians think that the Christian walk is a walk and not a run. Some of us think that it's at times a time where we can sit back and relax. We've done our work and now we can sit back and we don't have to do it anymore. But it means we must be moving. Now notice it tells us not only how we should run, but I want you to understand that metaphor of running. I hate running. I like athletics. You put a ball before me, I'll run. But without a ball... Without a reason for running, Dave, Chris is agreeing with me, there's no intention or reason. God didn't want you to run. Why? Running just bothers me. It hurts. It causes muscles in my body to twitch, and they shouldn't. Now, I know there's some of you that like running, and I'll pray for you. But but running isn't easy. Even those that enjoy running will say that a good long run will create pain. It will create tension. It will create uh, discomfort. But they're looking, of course, at the end of it, not just the process. The runner is supposed to know that we are to be moving. We're not to be walking. We know that we're going to exert energy in the Christian life. But notice it's important That that word run is found in the present tense. It is to be done at all times. You see, a lot of us like to do what I do. That is, run for a while, then stop and take a walk. And, okay, let me just get my heart rate back down to 80 beats a minute. Then we'll start running again, and then we'll stop. And so a lot of us in our Christian life think that we will leave boldly as we run walk for a while, run again for a short amount, walk for a while. But nowhere in Scripture does it say, run and then take a break, run and take a break. And so when he says run, he says run at all times. Don't ever stop running. Now that race may look different. It may have some twists and turns to it that will be different from one moment to the next. But we are to run whether we like it or not, whether we feel like it or not. Notice we see the distance. We are called not just to run, but to run with perseverance. This has to do with endurance. It has to do with long-suffering. It means discipline and determination. I want you to understand that the reason why I know the distance is because it takes no perseverance to sprint. You sprint. When I was in high school, I was a shot putter and discus thrower. 
And every once in a while, I would just for fun run the 100-meter dash. It didn't take any determination. By the time I started, I, I could see the finish line, and, and I could, could really visualize that I'd be crossing it. There was no embarrassment to it because I would be done pretty quickly after. I mean, once you get the, the big guy running, man, nothing will get in its way. Inertia begins to take over. But this is not a sprint. A sprint doesn't take endurance. A sprint doesn't take perseverance. Any one of us could build up enough speed to sprint, no matter who we are, as runners. And so it is with the Christian life. The Christian life isn't some sprint that anybody can just get up and do. Did you know that without any preparation, without any work, you can sprint? You can build up speed and and run for a short time. But the Christian life isn't that. The Christian life is a walk. It is a race of endurance. It is a race of perseverance. It's not going to be easy. Some of us think that it's this short little burst of energy. It's not. I like what one writer said. A lot of us as Christians are Alka-Seltzer Christians. Pop, pop, fizz, fizz, and we're done. It's not what it is. It is a life of endurance. The next we see is the diligence. The diligence behind this race. The word race in the Greek is the word agon. Agon. It is where we get the English word, help me out, agony. To agonize. Some of you are feeling that this morning. The walk of faith isn't easy. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. They hated me and they're going to hate you. So let's get beyond it. It isn't going to be easy. You'll be laughed at. You'll be snickered at. Even some of our predecessors, some of the people that have gone before us, have been martyred because of their faith. None of them would say that the race was easy. It was agonizing. And we need to understand that this race will be difficult at times. And because of it, we are going to suffer different and difficult circumstances. Trials will be all around us. And yet, as I look at the people that I would say are living boldly and preparing to leave boldly, none of them, none of them, none of them are living a life that is free from trouble and pain. They're agonizing. And yet, I want to live and I want to run just as they did with that same diligence. Moving on, notice the direction. God sets the course. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We don't set the course. This morning in the Chicago Tribune, uh, on the third or fourth page in the front section, it had the course for the Chicago Marathon. Runners can't complete the marathon effectively or within the rules, if they start taking their own course. Well, I don't want to go through Lincoln Park, so I'm going to go and take Lakeshore Drive. I just like running along the lake, so that's what I'm going to do. They can't do that. The originators, the the planners of the event say, this is the course. Whether you like it or not, you're in the race. This is how you're going to run. That is what God has done. Some of us are trying to run a race that is different than what God has set before us. God says to him, I've got a race for you. And I look and I say, but I don't like my course. If you've ever been a part of of ministry, last night is a perfect example. I I had to go home and prepare for my message. and, And people are having a blast here at the wedding last night. 
And, and to be honest with you, there's a part of me that says, man, why do I have to be the one that preaches tomorrow? Why can't I just have a nice Saturday? Why can't I just, why do I have to go home and, and prepare my heart and, and prepare all this? And the Lord says, because you've got a terrible attitude, first of all. But I begin to look at other people's course instead of looking at the one God has given me. Some of you are struggling in your race because you're trying to run someone else's race. You say, well, I like what he's doing. I like what she's doing. I'd rather do that. I think it's important to remember what Proverbs 14.12 says. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Now, I believe what is being spoken about there is the idea of living life for ourselves that will lead to death when it comes to our eternity. But I will go on to say that when you try to run a race that is not the course that God has set for you, and you try to run your own course, it will lead you to great disappointment and pain. God sets a direction. He calls it. And in his direction, there will be peaks and valleys. There will be turns. There will be times where there will be uh, like areas that we would say, I never want to run that again. But if you look at the great biographies of Scripture, the direction of the Lord isn't easy. And it isn't always the way we want it to be. And so if we want to live boldly, we need to know that if we desire to accomplish what God has for us, we must start running the race. The race with perseverance and the race that is marked out for us. Now notice the second thing, and I've got to get moving here. That was a long first point, but that was planned. The second point is, is there's focus running. There's focus running. Every good runner knows that there must be a focus to our running in a race. And that's usually the finish line. When Paul spoke about running the race, he said there was a goal he was looking for. It says in Philippians chapter 3 that he's reaching towards the prize that will send him heavenward. I'm reaching, I'm straining for this prize. For some runners, it's, it's, it's beating the best time that they've had before. For others, it's placing in a race. But for whatever it is, we need to have a focus. We can't just run because we will find ourselves meandering. But notice what verse 2 tells us. Again, the phrase, let us, comes. And it says, let us, he's exhorting them to fix our eyes on Jesus. The first focus, the, really the only focus we are to have is on Jesus Christ. He's the one. Now this involves a mindset. We can't have eyes for other things as we run the race. We can't find ourselves looking at other things. We can't worry about other details during the race. I can assure you that any of the uh, uh, focused runners today that are running right now in Chicago aren't thinking about what's on their grocery list. They're not thinking about making sure they hit that sale at Kohl's. They're focused. If any of you were watching the Bears game last week, the debacle that is the Bears game, and sometimes I'm excited that the Bears don't do well. It means our second service just rises in attendance usually when the Bears get bad. If you remember, there was a play where a guy was running for a touchdown by the New York Giants. He's running, and all of a sudden, you notice his view wasn't towards the end zone, but for some reason, he's looking up. And he's running, he's got a smile, and he's about to hit the end zone, and one of the Bears comes up and knocks the ball out. And if you were watching the game, you know, because the, analyzed, the analyst said, you know what that boy was doing? 
He was watching himself on the jumbotron. And while he was watching himself on the jumbotron, smiling, I love it because it was perfect footage for when he went to practice the next week on why they didn't score that touchdown. Now, they didn't need to score the touchdown. They had killed every one of our quarterbacks, and that's okay, so we move on. But a lot of us as Christians are watching the jumbotron of our lives. (laughs) Look at me. Look how I'm running. And instead of being focused on Jesus, we're focused in on ourselves. Why do we need to be focused in on Jesus? Because he is what I want to call our mentor. He's the one who has run the race. He is the author and perfecter of our our faith. And what that means is we are to look to his life and see how he loved, how he cared, how he was victorious over sin, how he was victorious in the race. It does us no good to look at my life or your life and see it because we're going to see each other entangled with sin, hindered with weights. And that doesn't mean we don't have godly human mentors, but our race cannot be focused on them. But it must be focused in on Jesus. I like what one commentator said in regards to this as a word study. He says that we must have eyes and eyes alone for Jesus. Is that true for you? Or are there things in this world that keep you from running focused in on Jesus? I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I'm focused in on what they're doing. I tell my children all the time, don't worry about everybody else. Worry about yourself. My children have eyes for other things, but they're not doing it. Or look, they get to play. What about me? We do that so many times. And usually when we start looking at others and saying, well, their race isn't as hard. They're not sweating like I am. They're not finding the difficulty. Why is their race not have hills like mine does? I wonder if that's what Job was asking. Abraham seemed to live a good life. Every once in a while he had some couple peaks, but my goodness, Lord, you keep taking everything away from me. But Job doesn't do that. He focuses in on the one who is the author of his faith and the perfecter of his faith. And he's able to say in the worst of times, he gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Now notice what the writer says. The reason why we look to him is that we, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. The reason why the writer tells us we need to focus in on Jesus is so that we, at the end of the day, at the end of the race, will have never grown weary and lose heart and give up. But there's a lot of us that want to give up. There are a lot of us who want to give in. And you will never leave boldly if you quit midway through the race. And so notice what the text tells us. It gives us a model for running. Notice what the text says. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. My friends, the race isn't easy. It's going to take work. But I want you to know something. Stephen Curtis Chapman shares words with us that I think are important. There is no greater place on earth than the road that leads to heaven. I would rather go through trials galore with God than run the race of comfort with the world. But I only can do that as I look at Jesus who ran the race before me, who endured pain, who endured trials, 
but the Bible says who did it with joy in his heart. Why do you run this race? For the joy that your children will run the race one day while watching your example. Why do you run the race and endure the trials? For the joy of one day sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. Yesterday I had, and I know i got to get moving, but yesterday I had one of the greatest experiences. I was at the local grocery store. And I was in the produce section of the grocery store, just picking up a couple things for the event yesterday. I was planning to be there three minutes. Three minutes I had things to do. I was there for an hour. Because the owner of the grocery store was just weeping over the loss of business. He says, I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to go. He says, Tim, I... I, My heart is racing at all times. Eighty-some years my family has had this business, and I'm not sure how much longer we can go. And the Lord says, hey, tell them how you're running the race. And I said, you know what? What I've learned as a small business manager in the good times and the bad is it doesn't matter about the bottom line, but it is to know that God loves me, God has a plan for me, And it was a riot because I'm no quiet speaker and people are walking by checking out the grapefruit and the cantaloupe and like, what in the world is this, Sunday morning in the produce aisle? And I shared the faith and I got done and I said, you know what? Where did that come from? Maybe you don't understand or don't know. My parents almost went bankrupt running a grocery store. You know the years that they struggled and endured that? For what reason? So I could say, hey, we've been there before. And God has sustained us. Were my parents looking at that tough business decision of closing a grocery store some 20 years ago as joy set before them? I I, I believe they were, knowing that God would sustain them and that one day their son would have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a man who's enduring the same trouble, the same struggle. Look to your race with joy. The final reason why we look for joy, it's my shortest point, and I will close with just reminding us of some things, is that it is fruitful to run this race. You may say, where is the victory? Tim, where is the end? I don't know when the end will be. For some, the end will be tomorrow. Darren prayed, and we released a couple saints into the kingdom this last week. Jim Quist's mom, a wonderful woman of the faith, Jenny Wagner's grandmother, a wonderful woman of the faith. And they lived long and vibrant lives for the faith. But we also know and recognize that tomorrow may be our last. That today, God may will that our days and our numbers are up. And it's time to go home. And I will assure you that the greatest fruit in this life will be endured by the one who runs the race faithfully focused in on Jesus. I want you to remember some things. How do we remember and how do we recognize the fruit in our lives? Number one, we, we do it by remembering. And we remember two things. Write this down. We remember the saints. The saints. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those witnesses, people say, oh, those are the angels. No, it's not the angels. Context, context, context. Who are the witnesses? Hebrews chapter 11. The great hall of faith. The ones who endured great opposition. The ones who gave up their children uh, for the kingdom. The ones who were broken and beaten and cut by the sword. Verse 34 says, who quenched the fire 
when their bodies were thrown into the flames. They are the ones who are cheering us on, who are saying, we're done. We finished the race. Now come on, Tim. Come on, Village Bible Church. Run your heart out for the Lord. Don't focus in on us, but remember us as you focus in on Jesus Christ. Notice the second thing we need to remember. It's not in the text, but it's key. We remember Scripture. When I start running slower and slower, when sin starts getting in my way, one of the greatest scriptures that I I love is that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. What can man do for us, do against us? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And scripture and scripture over and over again, when I start growing weary, when I start losing heart, the Lord just says, Tim, don't grow weary, don't lose heart. I've promised you wonderful and precious promises that will take you home. I will give you everything you need to make it to the finish line. I can assure you this last week, last week uh, and the weeks before, I had shared with the elders, I had been really struggling. And I had gotten some uh, CDs given to me from some of my favorite preachers. And I'll tell you, you want to hold me accountable. You ask me, how much preaching have you listened to? And it had been a while since I had consistently been in some good preaching. And I love two men, Chuck Swindoll and Alistair Begg, poured into your preacher this week. And I sat there, and scripture after scripture saying, Tim, don't grow weary. Don't be upset. Don't lose heart. And they poured into me. And I'll tell you, I'm a new man as a result of it. Look to the reward. As we see the fruit was near the finish line, there's nothing better than that finish line. And understand that the reward as we run is not just the legacy that is left, but the Bible says there will be a crown of righteousness waiting for us. And some of us need to start looking to that crown instead of the things of this world. The crown is better than the big screen TV. The crown is better than the new car or the new house. It's better than anything in this world. We need to run knowing there's a reward. And finally, we need to look to the rest. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about a rest that is coming, a Sabbath rest unlike any other. And we need to run knowing that one day our running will be done. Run in such a way knowing that your vacation is coming. But don't do your vacationing here on earth. Don't do your retirement here on earth. Say, I'll have a retirement and it's in glory. Worshiping God day and night. I'll have my vacation. That doesn't mean you can't retire. That doesn't mean you can't have a vacation. Don't take my words literally. But don't stop running the race. Using every day, making the most of every opportunity. Because it is in the manner in which you run the race will determine the legacy that you will leave behind. Stop living for self and start living for your Savior. It may mean ridding yourselves of things that you love but it will be worth it. That reward, that rest, will be worth everything you've sacrificed. It is when we live for Christ that we will leave just like Christ did, boldly accomplishing everything and leaving nothing unfinished. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray for each person in this place. We're running a race, Lord. We're at different places in that race. We don't know the finish line of of any of our races, but Lord, I pray that as a church, corporately, collectively, we would run this race with perseverance. Give us the the needed help and energy to accomplish it. Empower us to do it. But Lord, also give us the mindset of your son Jesus. 
Let us focus in on him so that we can run with endurance without growing weary and losing heart. Father, I pray that we would live this way, not so that we will be made known throughout all the world, but that at the end, we'll be able to point to you and say it wasn't by might nor by power, but by your spirit that gave us the power to endure this race and to run it to the end. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen.